Worthy is the Lamb. We're going to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, we're studying through the book of 1 Peter, so you can join me there. In a moment, I'll read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But if you'll also be finding Ephesians chapter 4, we'll get to that passage in a moment. If God's going to bring um, lasting change to your life, uh, it's going to be done because you have an open Bible and a humble, teachable spirit. So that moment could be now, but whenever God brings lasting change to your life, I believe that's likely how it will happen. So by God's grace, teachable spirit, His Word open before us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So... Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So just real quick, some things have got to go. Amen? There are some things that just got to go. Here's why. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long, long have an appetite for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now I'm going to preach, but I just already want to make this point. You've either got a a hunger and a thirst and an appetite for malice or for grace. And one of the two is sort of overcoming the other. Does that make sense? Are you malicious or are you gracious? That's what we'll talk about together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask for grace to understand your word correctly. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word. And now I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring life in the room for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you may be seated in there with First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2. I just want to make a pretty obvious point. When Peter wrote the letter, he didn't write it in chapters. He didn't sit down and say chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Chapter numbers and verse numbers, all that was added later, at a later time. He did sit down and say, I'm going to write a letter to followers of Jesus. And so when we get to chapter 2, you see that first word, so? So put away, that word is saying we're talking about this in light of where we've just been. Have you been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? If that has happened, then you're going to put away malice. I mean, think about it this way. Um, we've we've um, had some things going on at our house, right? We've got a, a baby that's going to arrive, Lord willing, at our house come the spring. Now, you know this. We can't wait till the spring to get ready for that baby. So, uh, listen, there hadn't been a baby living in my house for uh, seven some odd years. And over time, we've just sort of, I'm just going to tell you this, we're not ready for this baby at our house. That's what, I'm, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Corners aren't covered, cribs not assembled, changing pads present, but it's actually kind of been a shelf more than a changing pad, you know what I mean? We fold the laundry and put it there, and so we're, we're not ready, but we're, we're getting ready. In other words, because somebody's coming, something's got to go. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, you don't have to put some things away for Jesus to come. It's not what he's saying. 
He is saying, if Jesus has arrived in your life, some things are going to go. Does that make sense? So if the Holy Spirit of the living God, I mean, you just think about this. This is pretty logical. If the creator of everything in all his glory, power, and might has come to live in your life, that's what the Bible says if you're converted. It's not a small adjustment. It's not a tweak. It's a transformation. The Bible is not about bad people becoming good through the gospel. It's about dead people coming alive. And when that happens, some dead things have got to go. Peter begins by saying, all malice. So if it's first on Peter's list of things that have to go, we want to understand what malice is. Why is this first? Well, we'll get, jump in in a, in a minute. Um, do you ever like to do a, a check-in on how you're really doing? One of, the, one of the most helpful books to do that is uh, written by a man named David Murray. I think I've done this with us as a church family before in the past. I think I mentioned last week, you know, when I've talked to people today and, and say, really, how are you doing? Usually the first word you hear is, I'm fine. And then if you take a little step closer and say, no, no, how are you really doing? You know the word that I hear the most? Tired. Physically, tired. Emotionally, tired. Mentally, tired. Spiritually, tired. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, is the promise of Jesus, and I will give you rest. But it's helpful. It's helpful to know where we are so that we can get some help. Amen? So in his book, Reset, David Murray, helpful author to me, he just says, here's a reality check. I'm just going to read to you some questions because uh, I don't know why it's this way, probably our fallen nature, but for some reason, sometimes the hardest place we have being honest about how we really are, I don't know why it's this way, is, is here at church. There seems this unspoken pressure that we got to kind of act like here we're good when we're really not good. Does that make sense? So, so let me just ask you some questions. He writes uh, about some physical questions, some mental, some emotional, some relational, some work-related, moral, and spiritual. Well, I'm not going to read them all, but just enough. So let's start with physically. Physically, how are you doing? Do you feel exhausted and lethargic all the time, lacking stamina, or, 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 or energy for playing sports or playing with your kids? Or do you find it difficult to sleep, waking up frequently, or, or find that you wake up and can't get back to sleep? Or are you sleeping too much all the time? Mental warning lights. Is concentration hard for you and distraction easy? Or just mentally, is your mind wanting to be distracted and man, that's uh, always possible in 2021, isn't it? Always possible to be distracted so that you're not really thinking. We live in a day, as one author said it, of par- a constant partial attention. Just get your phone out and scroll the night away. Or do you think obsessively about certain difficulties in your life? You forget things you used to remember easily. Well, part of that is getting older, I, I do want to say. But appointments, birthdays, anniversaries, 
Or do you find your attention drawn to negative subjects and you're developing a hypercritical and cynical spirit? Some emotional warning signs. You feel sad. So sad that you have bouts of weeping and you feel on the verge of tears. Or it's been a long time since you've had a good laugh. Or you feel pessimistic or hopeless about your marriage, about your children, about your church, about your job, about the nation. Or worry stalks your waking hours and anxiety climbs into your bed every night. And as soon as you start, as soon as you wake up and think about the day ahead, your heart starts pounding and your stomach churning about the decisions that you face. Some relational warning lights. Your marriage isn't what it once was. You don't delight in your friendships the way you once did. You're irritable and snappy at your wife and the children. Your friends view, as, view you or those who know you best view you as angry, impatient, frustrated, and critical. I won't read all of these, but you begin to avoid social occasions, neglect important relationships, withdraw from friendships, even people you care deeply about, or you frequently lose your temper. We all right? We're doing a check-in. Y'all okay? It's okay to say, no, I'm not all right. The start of getting all right is to say, I'm not all right. Vocational warning lights. You work more than 50 hours per week, although not very efficiently, productively, or satisfyingly. Your work regularly spills over to your evenings or your weekends. You have little joy in your work. You dread it. Or you're falling behind, feeling constantly overwhelmed. You procrastinate and indecision dominates your life. Moral warning lights. You view risky material on the internet. You watch movies with images and language you'd have not tolerated in the past. You cultivate relationships with people who are not your spouse or you think about doing it. You, you shade the truth in conversations. Spiritual warning lights, your personal devotions have decreased in length and in, increased in distraction with little time or ability to, to really pray and reflect. You check email and social media before you meet with God. You don't have an ongoing conversation throughout the day with God that you used to. You skip church or listening to sermons put you to sleep. I'm just checking real quick. Just checking real quick. He writes, one burned out friend wrote to me, one of the things that has been a great concern to me is the fact that I haven't been moved by a sermon or reading the scripture in years despite often listening or reading. Or you don't enjoy fellowship with Christians or serving God's church. You believe all the truths of the Bible, but you don't believe them for yourself. One of the reasons, one of the reasons, not saying the only reason, one of the reasons we, we might say yes, 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 and yes to a lot of those, one of the reasons is we've not put some things away that have to go. Because following Jesus, remember a fighter verse not long ago? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you'd have life and have it abundantly. Uh, look in uh, chapter 1 at the very end, the very last statement that Peter makes. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So, because you believe the good news, so now you're going to do something and you're going to first of all put away malice. Now, the good news is uh, God can do a reality check with us and you don't have to pretend with him. 
He knows right where you are. He knows right what season of life you're in. And He loves you with amazing grace. One, one of the problems is sometimes we get in a hard spot and the very place we need to go is the last place we, we end up going. And that is, you have a gracious Heavenly Father. Can I just tell you that? Hear the promise again. Come to me. Come to me. Come to the person of Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, I've just got a couple of points to make from 1 Peter chapter 2, and here's the first major point is malice is destructive in every area of your life. Malice is destructive in every area of your life. That's why it comes first in the list. So he says, Peter says, if you've heard the good news, some things have got to go, and what has to go first is malice. So don't you think it'd be a good question to ask, what is malice? What is malice? That's why I asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to see it. And we'll talk about what malice is. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we'll start there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's it. You've been born again. Holy Spirit's come to live inside of you. Don't grieve the Spirit. The Spirit is your counselor. The Spirit is your helper. The Spirit will teach you from the Word of God. So verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all, what's your Bible say? Malice. So I just want you to see, let's put two things together. Paul says, if you're living a life of grieving the Holy Spirit, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is the last in his list and first in Peter's list. Do you see that? So let's talk about it for a moment. A couple of ways that you should understand malice is malice... gets the two great commands of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself flipped upside down. Malice is the default setting of your heart when you don't abide in Christ. So rather than wanting Christ exalted and serving others, you want self-exalted and others submissive to you. Does that make sense? That's what malice is. You remember, sin disordered the whole created order. God created a good earth and said to the human beings, you're going to have dominion over the earth. Human beings sought dominion not over the earth, but over God. It's what the fall is. You'll become like God, knowing good and evil. You, you get to choose. And, and then the distortion comes, and here's malice revealed. As soon as Adam sins against God, two things happen. He runs from God and he points at his wife and says, everything wrong in my life is her fault. That's malice. Now, look with me and let's study the Bible because the Bible is so helpful and good for our souls. This is a sequence. This is a, you might consider it a spiral down. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is when you actually want bad things to happen to other people. Do you have anybody in your life right now that you would be happy if something bad happened to them? How does that happen? Well, in Ephesians, let all bitterness. Let all bitterness. Bitterness is when your soul is wounded over being wronged. And when you're wronged, it hurts, doesn't it? 
somebody says something, somebody does something, or somebody that you really counted on, they didn't come through for you, and it, it wounded you, and it leaves a mark called bitterness. Now, friends, listen to me. It matters what you do with bitterness because bitterness spreads quickly. You, you can think of Ephesians 4, uh, 31 as sort of a chain reaction. Now, if you don't put the bitterness away, we'll talk about how to do that more in a moment, it turns into wrath. And wrath is best understood that that's a slow burn. I think a couple of Sundays ago, not long ago, we had the uh, illustration of a, uh, of a boiling water, and you cut that temperature up, and it begins to burn. And it's, if it stays on that thing, it's going to uh, uh, overflow. And that's what happens here. The bitterness begins to be a slow burn, and now you start to grind on it. You're riding around Rocky Mount. You're headed to lunch, and you get stopped at the stoplight, and your brain goes to that conversation. Or when they said this, I wish I'd have said that, and you're kind of rehearsing or replaying or practicing (laughs) in your mind, revisiting a wound. And now it's turned bitter, and now there's wrath, and that wrath turns to anger. Anger, in this context, refers to sort of a constant state of mind. Always angry. Maybe not yet outwardly, but man, it's, it's kind of building and building, and it builds long enough, it'll be like a volcano, and that's what comes next, and clamor. What's on the inside comes out. Jesus taught us this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. If the abundance of the heart is bitterness and wrath and anger, it's just a matter of time to now you're verb- verbally issuing the verdicts, right? And then comes slander. That is when you want other people to hear and think about a certain person the way that you do on the inside of you. Now you're slandering. Well, you can't trust that person. Do you know what so-and-so said? Do you know what so-and-so did? You're on the phone talking about it. You got that text thing out and your volume's up and it just... just Even the clicking sounds angry. You know what I'm saying, right? And then the end game is malice. Malice is when you actually want hurt and harm to come to the other person. Don't race past this question. Do you have malice in your heart towards somebody? Malice is honestly the defining characteristic of sinful man against God. It's where it begins. Remember when Jesus was born, we're about to put up the Christmas lights, right? I mean, in a few weeks. Maybe some of you got your tree up. That's fine. She brought, first her, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the end. Got no place for you. And then... After being shoved to the side when he was born, nailed to the cross when they kill him. When we kill him, honestly. Sinful heart. Have have malice towards God. And here's where it turns. Here's where it can turn in your life. But that's not how God's treated you. You see the chapter 2 verse 1. So put away malice. The so is connected to the good news. What's the good news? That Christ has not been malicious towards you. He's been gracious towards you. 
How about this? We couldn't get a better fighter verse for this week on this subject. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Just listen to it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the opposite of malice. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's not treated you the way you've treated him. Praise God Almighty. Malice is destructive to every area of your life. Grace is helpful in every area of your life. We're being told to do something with malice according to chapter uh, 2, verse 1. And what is it? Point number two. Malice must be put away. Must be put away. Now, uh, Peter, um, this is a little confusing in English, but just hang with me. So put away all malice. In the original language... This was written in Greek originally. We're reading an English translation. Put away is not a command. It's a participle, an I-N-G word. So putting away malice, there is a command. It's verse 2. Like newborn infants, here's the command. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. So we're talking about salvation. So to properly understand it, if you're longing for the things of God, you're putting away the things that are not of God. It's a simple point, but it's important. It's a result of longing for the things of God. If you've been born again to a living hope, chapter 1, verse 3, you come with a godly appetite. And Peter says it's like a, the, the word he's using is like putting, uh, taking off a garment. So this is the oldest garment I have. You can tell by the color, some of you who are there, it's from the 80s, all right? That, that uh, whatever this color, pinkish, reddish, whatever. Uh, I was the youngest of three boys, so uh, I got the hand-me-downs, and I don't really know why. This is the one sweatshirt from those days that survives. Now, Peter is saying there's some things that you wear in a spiritual sense that you've got to take off. Now, another simple point, how do, you take a, how do you take a shirt off? By taking it off. I know that's pretty simple, but it doesn't just happen, Right? Now, here's what Peter's getting at. Has anybody in the room participated in a fashion trend in years gone by that you look back and say, why did I ever wear that? Anybody? Now, I thought about getting some older Calvary Church directories out. I'm talking about from the 60s and showing some beehive hairstyles because they're on every page, my friend. But maybe there was a day that you rolled up your jeans and pegged them, as we said back in those days, or maybe a hairstyle, and you look back and say, I can't believe I ever wore that, did that, so on and so forth. You come to a place in your life where you say, why did I ever do that? That's what Peter is saying. You're going to put it off, this is important, because you want to. Because now, alive in Christ how could I be malicious when I've been shown such graciousness? So, so put away is the participle. It's not the imperative. It's not the command. It's something that is going on while you're doing the command. What's the command? Long for the pure spiritual milk. In the same way that I was referring earlier, you sit and you grind on it at the stoplight and he did this and said that. Now you're longing for spiritual milk, which means you're replacing that mindset with the cross. You're not grinding on how you've been wronged. Your gratitude is full for what's been done to you. We've said it this way before. 
Your life's either going to be defined by what somebody did to you or what Christ did for you. That's it. That's, that's going to be the testimony over your life. So you put some things away. If you long for the things of God, you're putting away all the things that are not of him, from him, or unto him. So say, let's say it again. There are some things that just have got to go. I love to, uh, to participate and uh, officiate at, at weddings. It's one of my favorite things to do. I, I love weddings. It makes me think of how blessed I am with my wife. And, um, and I always say something like this on, on, on the wedding day. Uh, as the bride comes and there's the groom and they're standing together and say, you're going to say yes to each other. And in saying yes to each other, you're also saying no to everyone else. That's what a covenant is. Never done a wedding where the groom was sitting with an old girlfriend standing beside him. No, he's saying no so that he can say yes. That's what love is. That's what a covenant is. Covenants are yeses that also have knows. I put away malice because I'm united to Christ and in Christ there is no malice. I do want to draw your attention briefly to that word all. All. So put away all malice. He doesn't say put away some of your malice or even most of your malice. What are we being warned about? Even a little is dangerous. How much poison would you be comfortable putting in your drink at lunchtime, right? A, a little, and here's the other warning, is a little bit of malice doesn't stay little. It's what we learn in Ephesians. It's a chain reaction that begins to be out of your control until your life is dominated. So let's think about it this way. There are likely people in your life that you are most prone to have malice towards. They've wronged you. They've not been there for you. You've tried your best to help them, but when you needed help, they didn't reciprocate. So let's connect the first verse with the third verse. So put away all malice, and then in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's say it again. There are likely people in your life right now that you're most prone to have malice towards because they've wronged you, not been there for you. You've tried your best to help them, but when you needed help, they didn't reciprocate. Friends, this is Peter, and couldn't Jesus say that of him? Of course. Couldn't Jesus say that of you? But listen to me. He wouldn't say it in a malicious way. Say it in a gracious way. The whole reason Jesus came is because our hearts towards him were not right. The Lord is good. In, in fact, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, it's the same word as gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? So let's put some thoughts together. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you will have an appetite for His spiritual provision. Have you ever been to lunch with somebody and you wish you ordered what they had? Listen, if you've ever really tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it does free you of an appetite for the things of the world. Does it not? Have you found that to be true? Have you been born again to a living hope? Aren't you being freed up? Aren't you being freed up from lesser, shallower things? So to refer back to 
what we studied last week, if you think back to the Good Samaritan, we won't read all those verses again, but you remember that Jesus was teaching a lawyer and he had the question, and what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What, how, how's the law? How do you read it? Love the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, who's my neighbor? He just kept wanting to poke Jesus like he had a point to prove. And so Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And a man fell among robbers and, and uh, they stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. By chance, here comes a priest. Somebody you would think would be helpful, but the priest doesn't stop to help the man. He passes by on the other side. Then comes a Levite. He doesn't help. He passes by on the other side. And then the good Samaritan, the Samaritan by chance came there and he felt compassion. And then at great cost to himself, he helps the man. So when it comes to malice, to use that as an analogy, I do think it would be pretty easy for the man who fell among the robbers to spend the rest of his life feeling malicious against those robbers. He could do that. He'll either, feel mali- he'll either have a heart sort of dominated by malice towards the robbers because what they did was wrong. Or he'll have a heart more influenced by the graciousness of the Samaritan. It's unlikely to be both. And just, and just while we're at it, because... It does seem to me in 2021 in sort of church circles, I want to say this about the Samaritan. He doesn't waste a whole lot of time bemoaning the inadequacy of the response of the priest and the Levite either. He gets to work. And I find that you're not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time and energy devoted to, in a manner of speaking, correcting the priest and the Levite, and spending time helping. Does that make sense? And so so the Samaritan, the best evidence, here's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) The best evidence that you're not ruled by malice is that your days are spent sacrificially helping people. Now, how do we put it away? That's what he says to do. Put it away. How do you put it away? Here's what I believe Peter is saying. You put away malice in proportion to your understanding of how gracious God has been to you. Say that again. I I believe you will put away malice in proportion to your understanding of how gracious God has been to you. I don't want to wear that anymore. It's not a fashion sense decision. It's a spiritual fashion sense decision, if we can say it that way. We don't want to wear it anymore. I've tasted grace in a way that makes me prefer it and eager to offer it. Increasingly, we should be a people who say, I can't believe I used to wear that. All the time I spent eaten up with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice in line with 1 Peter's whole theme is we don't dress like everybody else. Ever been in a place where you realize you didn't have fashion sense? I know I have about every day. You know, one of the things I appreciate so much about my dad is my dad had no fashion sense. What my dad wore when the day I was born and the day that he passed away, a span of 15 years, the same thing. I remember one time my dad bought a new shirt. Now, I'm not trying to harp on if you, I mean, what, what, but, but some things got to go and we don't put it on anymore. It belongs to our former manner of life. And two, 
chapter 2, verse 1. We're studying the Bible together. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified, see this ongoing, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love is directly connected to chapter 2, verse 1. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander are the things you're being purified from with the result that you really love other people. So maybe it would be helpful in conclusion to just read the whole section. Chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3, and get it right before us. Peter Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Friends, in putting away malice, you're called to put away all the things that you don't like about your life anyway. I heard a Ray Ortland say it that way one time. Just getting rid of all the stuff that is not leading to the abundant life that Christ has provided. So let's stand together. We're going to pray together. Pray by God's grace you've heard the word of the Lord. And now here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he lives in you. He's your counselor. He's your friend. And he'll tell you the truth. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, love one another. So can we pray together? Your heads bowed. So Father, I'm going to ask some things for you to do among us. We don't want to be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves. Would you reveal to us if way down deep in our souls, way down deep in our heart, we have malice towards somebody. And in no way, shape, or form are we diminishing wrong that has been done, saying it's okay that it happened. But Father, we do want to be a people who say, I want to live in light of what Christ has done for me more than what has been done to me. What happened to the man who fell among the robbers was wrong. It's criminal. It's unjust. But somebody found him there and helped him. And we believe that's a picture of what you have done for us through your son Jesus specifically at the cross. So help our life not be restless, robbed of joy, robbed of peace, but full of rest that is to be found in Jesus so that we put off all malice. We sincerely love other people In Jesus' name.
Amen.